I'm Sarah Grace McCandless, and this is On Brand, where we take a closer look at this growing desire for true connection with people and the companies that they engage with. So show's called On Brand, right? And today, my guest also has brand in the title of the company that they work for. It's an organization that I am a huge brand advocate of, and something that I think is really critical to these conversations that we've been having about connection. Because one of the ways that you connect is understanding what your consumer thinks, where they are, how do they feel about you? What are they talking about? Kellen Terry is the Director of Communications for Brandwatch and is a phenomenal digital consumer intelligence platform that helps companies and brands of all sizes all over the world really understand some of the answers to those questions. Kellen, welcome to On Brand. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, Sarah. It's so great to have you here. I, listen, I am, some people, there's a lot of things I get excited about. I consider myself a brand advocate of, I am a brand advocate of Brand Watch, and I am so excited to talk to you about what Brand Watch does and just sort of the state of consumer research and insights. But let's start with you. Sure. Tell, me, tell me about your background. Tell me um, where you grew up, how you kind of got into this world of communications, also PR and data analysis, and what got into your current role? Uh, a little embarrassed to talk about myself, but that's where we we shall start. Um, so my story is really kind of average and run of the mill. I, I was born in a, an extremely small town in extreme upstate New York uh, that I'm sure no one's really ever heard of. Uh, very close to Canada, very close to Quebec. Um, so from there, uh, I got both my undergraduate and my master's degree at St. Bonaventure University uh, in western New York. And from there, I moved to New York City. Uh, my professional career started out in a kind of traditional communications agency uh, known as Tex 100. Uh, now it's referred to as Archetype, I believe. Um, and then from there, I, I went from a myriad of other smaller agencies to <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a myriad of other smaller agencies to um, an online content platform. And then I've been at Brandwatch now for almost six years. Yeah, you and I have a similar trajectory in terms of our current organizations and companies, because I've been with mine, it'll be six years this summer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I sort of got to got first got involved with Brandwatch shortly after starting with Sykes. In fact, okay, let's let's do a little test here. Were you at the Brandwatch conference in Chicago? Um, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Know. Are <laughs> now you know conferences. Yeah. Um, I have actually not attended uh, any of those yet. Okay. Uh, I was scheduled to be at the one in 2020, but of course that went by the wayside in the yeah. wake of the pandemic. Um, but no, uh, I, I, I put some groundwork in beforehand, but when it comes to putting, you know, uh, bodies uh, in, in kind of the physical location itself, I always kind of hold down the fort back in New York City. I get it. I, I just wondered if maybe we were two ships passing in the night there. And I, now I'm remembering that I was so bummed out because I only got to go to one of the two days or half the time I had to go to a client meeting. Mm. Uh, but you started. OK, so with Brandwatch, didn't you start as a as a data analyst, like a PR data analyst? Is that right? I did. Yes, that's correct. So uh, 
if I'm being completely honest, uh, I don't have to explain public relations or communications to you, I bet. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I do kind of all that traditional work, uh, the, pre the press releases uh, yeah. around product features, announcements, that type of thing. Um, but if you're, if you're really pressing me and, and I have to kind of divulge the, the most, uh, you know, gratifying part of my job is doing that data and analysis uh, around whatever's making headlines. So uh, I act something as a, as a source for the media and through that kind of capability and that type of work, I, I really pull in relevant social data around whatever's making headlines at the time. So the subject matter uh, for what I've done data and analysis for uh, can range anywhere from politics to New York Fashion Week to the Super Bowl and Super Bowl advertising brands and all that type of stuff. Um, and I've, I've kind of developed relationships with uh, a number of journalists uh, within the industry now that they can come to me uh, with their own bespoke requests and I will fulfill those for them. Yeah, I love that. You're right about the PR front. So full disclosure, um, I grew up, I'm a PR child because my mm. father was in automotive public relations my whole life. I grew up in Detroit. Okay. Um, so I speak fluent PR. Um, I love what you said about that though too. And, and you know, the analysis part is, is really what we're going to like hone in on today. So, okay, let's talk about Brandwatch a little bit more too. I mean, you just rattled off a lot of different use cases there. And that's sure. one of the things I really like about data is there's lots of different stories within the data there too. And when I think about brand watch and capabilities, it could be market research, crisis management. Um, we'll come back to that one, especially for, for sure. 2020. <laughs> uh, you can look at competitive research. You can look at trends. Talk to me a little bit about the current capabilities of what brand watch can really provide insights on. Absolutely. So we're very conversational based. So whatever people can discuss online, we can um, certainly kind of look at those conversations and analyze them. Uh, it should be said that Brandwatch deals in entirely public data. Um, so that, that data is out there and it's available to anyone who cares to, to look for it. Um, but where Brandwatch really excels is defining conversations making sure that the data you want to look at and you are analyzing is as relevant to you and your use case as possible. And then kind of through, you know, a lot, through, we have numerous tens of thousands of ways to really kind of slice and dice this data once you have the conversation that you're looking at. And in doing so, uh, you try to pull insights and useful little information nuggets out of that. And I think that, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about this later, there is certainly a difference between data points and insights. And I believe that Brandwatch and our consumer research platform really kind of expedites the entire process of taking data, pulling out data points, and then kind of revealing the insights within them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's sort of like, otherwise, it's just a bunch of really cool charts. Yeah. Um, you got to add, I talk about this a lot, adding the so what um, and then now what to it, you know, it's something that is really critical for the conversations I have with all of our brand partners, because we think we know what a consumer is feeling. There's qualitative and there's quantitative um, sure. considerations there. Right. So, um, but data, there's these data points and ultimately there's a story, right? Mm. So why do you think, what, what kind of, where can data really help from your perspective in terms of identifying highlighting, and telling a story. 
So one of the things I pride myself on and, and something that my team does within Brainwatch very well, because I'm part of the, the content communications team, uh, mm -hmm. is data storytelling. So uh, a, lot of the, a lot of what we'll do is we'll identify a topic that seems to be getting uh, much more attention than it normally would or, you know, kind of a conversation surge. Uh, and, and we're notified to that either, you know, by headlines or simply what we see on some of the more populated social networks. Uh, and then from there, we'll get the subject matter that we want to kind of look at in our heads. And from there, we'll turn to our, our, our platforms and our, our kind of uh, product suite. And we will then write the queries that power our platforms to define these conversations and pull them in. And then that's where we get a bit more granular uh, with the analysis and with the insights that we see. So what this data and the analysis really provides is it really provides context around the conversation, how it started. Uh, you know, what type of people are contributing to it, what type of people are, are detracting from it, uh, that type of thing. Um, we know that social media is, is really kind of a place for not just conversation, but in the years, uh, the past couple of years, a place for debate as well. Um, so from there, you can really kind of understand uh, your audiences, um, audiences that may be opposing a particular view and, and, and just kind of what they think of a, of a certain matter. People are not shy when it comes to social media and they, they let their opinions be known quite freely. Um, so, so when they do that, we, we try to, you know, kind of put that all together, accumulate it and, and really kind of pull the insights out of it so that we know what consumers would expect from a company uh, and from their products, their services, et cetera. Yeah, and I think the other thing that is really important there is that you're able to kind of hone in and pinpoint various aspects of the journey. So it's not just like the need for support, I'm complaining something's wrong, but you could really um, take a look at the full picture and then you can kind of dive in, you know, whether it's the point of awareness, support, or that advocacy point. You also made a great uh, mention earlier about how this is public data that's mm -hmm. out there hot topic, right? Sure. Um, and one of the things I think that's really interesting about Brandwatch too, you mentioned social, it's it's what we think of as social now has also changed. This is a conversation I have every single day. Absolutely. Um, so it's like those traditional channels, right? But um, Brandwatch can pull from some other areas too. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So um, our, our data sources are differentiated a bit. Mm -hmm. Brandwatch uh, kind of looks at the numbers roughly 100 million different data sources. So for context, um, and, and we do this through different means. We have our own proprietary technology. Um, we have elevated uh, key data partnerships with certain data providers. Mm -hmm. um, but but overall, we we not only look at you know uh, many of the the most popular social media platforms that are out there. Uh, we also look at blogs, what people are writing on blogs, on on forums, uh, news sites, so on and so forth. Um, we have a technology where we can. Uh, kind of look for prompted data and run surveys uh, that we serve to people to ask them their opinion directly um, on a subject matter or a topic, that type of thing. And, and we really think, and, and kind of at the crux of what we call digital consumer intelligence, is this differentiation of, of data points. Um, we believe that social data is an invaluable resource to have for brands, for companies to have to kind of fill their consumer expectation and needs. Um, 
But on top of that, if you are this huge company, this huge brand, and you have your own data points, whether it be uh, internal sales figures, uh, whether it be you know your own kind of employee advocacy data, that type of thing, uh, we think that digital consumer intelligence is really unlocked uh, when you take all these different data sources, you kind of combine them together, um, and you mix and match them, you segment them, you analyze them together, and then that's where you know the, the deepest insights are. Um, so while we really kind of excel at the defining of, of social media conversations and, and kind of looking and analyzing those, we always encourage um, our clients to bring in as much of their own independent owned data as much as possible, um, which is capable within our products through upload APIs, um, because that's when you kind of get the fullest picture and that's where the, you know, the most value is. Right, kind of stitch that all together. Um, really understand that customer experience and expectation. Two key words there. Um, what are some of your thoughts on like what is what are some considerations for brands when they're thinking about really understanding customer expectations? Um, certainly, there is a lot you can learn via Brand Watch. But what are some of the kind of strategic points to keep in mind? Absolutely. So. So like I said, consumers aren't shy in, in sharing what they what they want from you. And I think that one of the biggest holes that brands can can fall into is is kind of being a victim to their own success. Um, so if it's a surface, uh, if it's a service rather, excuse me, or a product that they offer uh, and it catches on extremely quickly um, and it's used by a bunch of different people, um, you can kind of find that they might that this brand might become kind of too spread too quickly, too thin, and they can't kind of fulfill the promise that is their service, that is their product, that type of thing. Um, and when that happens, it's just kind of a direct kind of failure or collapse in, in consumer expectation. Because if you, if you market yourself as we can do this for you, um, and then when it's so successful and it takes off that your demand skyrockets. Um, if, if you can't kind of fulfill the, the skyrocketing demand, uh, then you just kind of fall into that hole of, of you know, your own success. And I, I think that that's something that Brandwatch really excels at is you can look at, you know, whether they be positive or negative mentions, you can look at that of your brand, of your specific service, of your product, um, and you can kind of see a turning point where, oh, our conversation is turning overly positive here, or this is the moment that our conversation uh, started to turn a little bit more negative and we need to address that, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so really pinpointing uh, the moment that a conversation kind of adapts and change uh, and changes and, and, and kind of takes on a different life of its own. Uh, that's something that Brandwatch does very well. Yeah, that's, uh, I can speak to that firsthand that that is a true statement that you just yes. said, um, you know, and I'll, I'll tell you too, you know, sometimes Brandwatch comes to us because we have partners who um, are already working with it and they just mm -hmm. bring it to the table as sort of a suite of tools. And then we also uh, work with it directly ourselves and from a global perspective, um, multiple teams on this too. Um, you know, I let's. I got to talk about this last year, though. Uh, sure. because, uh, okay, 2020, big topic. We're in 2021 now, but let's talk about this last year. Instead of this before and after that happened, talk to me first. What? Talk to me about the company. Um, how do think like when everything was about a year ago that everything kind of started to to really pivot and turn. We weren't really sure what was going on. You know, we all thought we were going to go home and work from home for two weeks. Right. Yeah, a year right. later. 
What talk to me about the company first, and then I want to ask you a little bit about um, how that impacted the reporting side of things. But how, what was the impact on Brandwatch? So that's a fantastic question, and I think it's so important to remember that each individual, each company, so on and so forth, they have their own kind of journey when dealing with this pandemic. Um, so me being located in New York City proper at the time, uh, it was really just kind of seeing the news, seeing the updates every day, uh, that mm -hmm. type of thing. Something that really, because if I remember correctly, um, I, I believe that the coronavirus ha had actually made its way to the UK in uh, England specifically in a bigger way than it did in the States at the time. And I remember that my manager uh, was over just kind of, uh, she's based over in Brighton, England, where our headquarters is. And she was over in about mid to late February. And I remember at that time, uh, excuse me, at that time, <clears throat> Uh, the news coming out of Brighton, where we're headquartered, is they, they were just getting their first cases there, so on and so forth. Um, and Brighton is a much smaller uh, kind of city than New York City is. So um, a couple weeks later, uh, we, we kind of started to hear more and more cases being picked up uh, within New York City. And, and that's kind of when we decided to, to close our offices. It was kind of in that week uh, where it felt like everything was shutting down. I believe the National Basketball Association was first um, and, and that they kind of suspended their season the same day that Tom Hanks was diagnosed while filming over in Australia. And, mm -hmm. and the dominoes all seemed to fall extremely rapidly. Um, but what Brandwatch did as a kind of a global company with, you know, a lot of offices um, all over the world, not just in, you know, North America, but several places in Europe and, and in Asia and so on and so forth. Um, we did say that, you know, to employees, you can go to remote working full time um, and 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 do it as, as long as necessary and as long as, you know, we need to. Um, so our New York City office has has never reopened. Um, our Brighton headquarters, they did have a period and I believe it was the late summer of 2020 where uh, they did reopen, but it was to um, a specific capacity amount and that type of thing. Um, and of course, it's closed now as, as tighter lockdown restrictions have been reinstalled within the United Kingdom. Um, but, you know, largely what I can say to Brandwatch's response has been we 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 just look to be agile we look to be flexible um we looked to kind of give our employees whatever they needed to succeed because again uh even if we work at the same company uh what i might need to work successfully from home might not be what uh, my teammate does um so brandwatch is just kind of really bent over backwards to try to ensure that every individual within the company has whatever they need to personally succeed and, and, and do their best work while also you know going through life in a in uncertain times raising children uh that type of thing yeah, I mean, I love that point, that personalization and, and ability to pivot. And I think it's interesting, the conversations I've been having certainly on the show, we're talking a lot about how that is so critical, not only to the employee experience, but then your client, your customer, whatever. I mean, really, it should be cohesive throughout. Absolutely. And I'm glad to hear that that was the case for you. Um, you know, my last trip before the world shut down was to New York. Mm -hmm. uh, there in early March, it was a personal trip, and I was at I was at MoMA. I went to Broadway to jag a little bit. Yeah. I mean, now in hindsight, you know, I remember thinking at the time, my mother was like, "Don't go there," and I said, "Oh, mom, there's a thousand cases in New York," and I literally did the math. 
I did the percentage with the population. Of course, there were more, but we didn't, right. we didn't, we didn't know. So, so there's this pivot in terms of how we work and where we work. And then I certainly saw um, an interesting pivot in how something like Brandwatch can be used um, mm -hmm. in terms of what we're keeping track of. So before I may have been like, oh, what was, you know, what are general sentiments around a particular type of industry or product? Or, you know, how did this particular go-to-market strategy land with the consumer? Or what does the consumer think about our customer service support for brand X or Y? Suddenly I've got some new topics to keep track of because of 2020. Absolutely. A lot of it is crisis management, right? So can you talk to me a little bit about a brand watch's position? Um, because you did provide a lot of really great proactive reports. Yeah, we did. So I think something that we really wanted to do internally is we wanted to provide the most value we could to our current customers. Mm -hmm. um, and we came together and we decided the best way to do that. And what we largely landed on was a daily bulletin and putting out you know, a piece of content that is insightful on a daily basis isn't the easiest uh, task to do, um, but that's what we landed on. And we realized with how quickly information was moving um, that we thought a daily update would be kind of useful. And a lot of our clients and, and prospects uh, tended to agree with us because our open rates on those daily bulletins are are kind of off the charts, if I'm being completely honest. Um, uh, we, we've pulled, uh, kind of pulled back uh, the, the cadence in which we we publish those those bulletins now, and now it's only two or three times a week, which is still a lot. Um, but you know, right when everything was was happening and, and everything was happening so quickly, um, we thought daily was was the proper amount to do it. And on top of that, we would also provide kind of these more in depth pieces of research um, that you can't publish daily, but you can publish on a monthly basis. And and that was kind of us examining uh, consumer behavior through the lens of this pandemic. So, you know, are, are consumers going to go back to brick and mortar stores ever? Um, are they talking more about shopping online? Are, are they talking about how they can't believe what they were doing and how they were living before the pandemic? Um, are they talking about how excited they are to go back to, to life as it was after the pandemic's over, that type of thing. Um, so consumer behavior it has, through the lens of, of this pandemic has, has really been um, something that we look at and examine and analyze a lot because Again, if, if you're a company, a retailer, a consumer packaged good company, um, you want to make sure that your supply and, and is, is there to meet your demand and you want to make sure that it is where you want it. Uh, so if, if it's sitting on shelves in a store and people aren't going to stores anymore, uh, you might try to keep it in a warehouse somewhere that is easily shipped uh, across the globe, uh, that type of thing. So, so yeah, we, we do try to tackle the big questions as to what is consumerism going to be not only during this pandemic but afterwards because even uh, you know knock on wood even when this is all over and many people are vaccinated or or you know cases just kind of decrease significantly um the effects that this pandemic has had on us as a society 
um, will linger and it will make people, you know, more hesitant to, to go to their stores and, 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 and it will change what they spend their money on. Uh, we did analysis on name brand products versus uh, kind of, you know, uh, value products, that type of thing to see mm -hmm. what people really uh kind of valued in the wake of this pandemic. Because if you remember at the very beginning, it was very hard to find uh, certain products. Toilet paper comes to mind. So uh, uh, yeah, that, that's the type of analysis we, we, we tried to conduct and, and we tried to share uh, with not only our prospects and our clients, but those bulletins and, and those reports are open to the public to, to view and, and kind of ingest and, and take away insights as, as you know they see fit. Yeah, you mentioned um, brick and mortar versus like the mm -hmm. obviously there's a big surge in e-commerce. I certainly saw that with a lot of our own brand partners. Um, there are other kind of consumer products, consumer packaged goods. Great point. And there was a lot of fraudulent. Um, like, is that really hand sanitizer? Is that really right. going to do it for me? You know, we weren't we weren't quite sure what we were ordering. Were there other verticals or industries that you saw from your kind of lens of brand watch that became um, front and center um, as a result of 2020. Absolutely. So I, I remember very specifically uh, right in, again, this was March 2020. So mm -hmm. it was still quite, uh, this virus was still quite new to uh, the United States. Um, we were still learning a lot and we were learning a lot every single day, it seemed. Um, and at that time, I had specific requests from several journalists, uh, I believe, uh, from Ad Week, from Ad Age, and, and a few other uh, media publications, and they were taking a very brand-centric look as to what this pandemic had done. Um, so they, I remember one request wanted me to look at mentions of Lysol and Clorox and to mm. see how mentions of, of those brands had kind of changed over time um, in the wake of, of this pandemic. Uh, another request, and this one was was a little bit uh, was a little bit lighter. They wanted me to look at uh, the Corona beer brand to yeah. see to see you know what you know a coronavirus Corona beer. They wanted to see the correlation there um, if this was damaging the brand, so on and so forth, that type of thing. Um, so all of a sudden, uh, you know, th this virus lands on on the U.S. shores, and 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 it's it's kind of it's not maybe the most important thing to think about, but many people were like, well, what are the brands doing or, or what are people saying about the brands and that type of thing? Um, so I do remember there was some very specific brand centric um, requests that I was getting and some analysis that we were doing. Um, and, and, you know, we, we conducted that as, as quickly as possible and, and tried to turn those requests around and, and deliver as many insights as we could. Yeah, that's a great point about current. I thought of that, you know, as a marketer, of course, sure. Ooh, this has got to be tricky because then you don't, you also want to be sensitive. Like, okay, this isn't about you guys, you know, but it right. is, but then everyone said, started saying COVID more. And I thought, well, that probably took care of that. Right. But, you know, um, certainly, I mean, we work with um, clients across multiple verticals and mm -hmm. some of them we saw not only were surviving, but thriving and actually the need went through the roof. So if you think about financial services, you think yeah. about healthcare, e-commerce, some were kind of critical needs, some were comfort needs. Um, so that was really interesting. And, and we're listening though, really understanding what people think and what they're saying. It was just like accelerated, right? Yeah. In terms of priorities. Now we're talking a lot about uh, the pandemic, which of course uh, makes sense, but there was a lot of other stuff going on last year. Yes, yes. Um, 
you know, do you think when we think about, um, you know, Black Lives Matter, we think about the election in the U.S., you know, those Black Lives Matter, that movement, this this need, this is ongoing. The election mm-hmm. is over, but mm-hmm. there's still things that are happening every single day related to that world. Are there things that you think um, will continue to be priorities from a listening and reporting standpoint and in terms of taking those kind of national or global movements and thinking it through from a brand or company perspective? Absolutely. Um, and I think that this is this is such a huge topic matter. And, and you can see if you go back, if you look at the use of social media over time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back in 2000, you know, when, when social media was, was really in its infancy, um, it wasn't necessarily thought of as a place to start social movements. That has since changed. Um, obviously, with some of the most recent examples of, of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, which, which uh, obviously saw another revolution and, and come to the spotlight last year um, and is you know, still quite prominent on social media today uh, due to certain current events, um, you know, that's, people didn't think of social media as, as kind of the platform, the launch pad of social movements back in like 2006, 2010, um, that type of thing. Um, but now you do see social movements kind of coming together and it is because people who are like-minded can, can seek each other out. Um, they can seek each other out to, to kind of commiserate and, and feel better and, and kind of relate to people and empathize and sympathize and so on and so forth. Um, so social media is very important for connecting those people. Um, but you know, kind of on the other hand, something that I, I, I said earlier is, uh, during kind of the past several years, social media has also become this place for heated debate and, and kind of, uh, heated exchanges between different people with ideals and that type of thing. Um, so while social media is fantastic for people kind of looking for solace and they're looking to cope and, and they're looking for people with the same type of life experiences that they have. And, you know, they're trying not to feel alone in their feelings. Um, they're also kind of exposed to people who are, you know, the trolls of the world who are, who are there just to, to kind of stir the pot. And, and, and you know, th- there are even more nefarious uh, social media users than, than purely trolls out there, too. Um, so, yeah. So you have seen social media in the past few years become, uh, I don't want to say this battleground but this this certainly this heated debate stage um and and you know in in doing that brands really need to look at themselves they really need to determine and identify what their values are and then going forward they need to not only share what their values are but they actually need to live by them and and kind of live up to them yeah, you just took the question right out of my head. You're it's like you're a mind reader. Um, talking about the values of a brand too, you know, because we there's a lot going on in the world. I mean, we're, we're talking about Black Lives Matter. There's been these you know deplorable attacks towards our Asian community as well, mm-hmm. and we're seeing a lot of brands not not just say something but do something. And I yeah. think that that's really critical because that's where true purpose is really um, shines. We can all write a fancy purpose statement and, and slap it on our websites, but it's how we show up and the actions that we take. What do you, so you started to kind of say that brands values, what do you think is the importance uh, moving forward in terms of, of really truly knowing and leading with purpose as a Absolutely. brand? 
Absolutely. Uh, to kind of steal a saying is don't just talk about it, be mm -hmm. about it. Uh, yeah. That type of thing. Uh, something that immediately comes to mind that happened extremely recently is if we look at Major League Baseball mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of re in reaction to recent laws being passed in Georgia, they have now pulled, I believe it is the MLB draft, but I'm certain it is the All-Star game mm -hmm. uh, that was supposed to be held in Atlanta. Um, and, and in doing so, there has been a reaction and that reaction largely plays out on social media. So you have one group of people who are very happy with this and celebrating this fact. And then you have another group of people who are calling for boycotts and to no longer view major league baseball games, so on and so forth. And on top of that, there are some very specific kind of Georgia based brands that people are calling, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're calling to, you know, kind of be asking where they stand, essentially. Right. Uh, what, what is your take on, on what is currently happening, that type of thing. And you find that brands that respond to this um, kind of weekly or, or brands who, who kind of uh, don't kind of show the action uh, as immediately, uh, they kind of tend to open themselves up for, for more online backlash. Um, and uh, I, I've done a lot of analysis around kind of brand gaffes and backlash and social media outrage and that type of thing. Um, so, you know, we can speak to those going back for years and years and years if you want. Um, but people ultimately, they, they want to know what your values and ideals are. And they want you to tell them very clearly and plainly. And then once you've made those statements publicly, they just, they simply want you to walk the walk, so to speak. Right. Yep. I think you're absolutely right. It's no longer enough just to say what you stand for. You have to show it. And you made a great point too, about brands who sort of sit at the sidelines, even though they are a part of the conversation, the consumer is making them a part of the conversation right. and pretending that you don't hear isn't going to get you very far anymore. I don't think. Um, no, absolutely. I yeah. tend to agree. Yeah. Well, listen, Kelly, I, we could talk forever. I, this is seriously one of my favorite subjects. I think there's just a treasure trove of data. And as I, you know, we talk so much on the show about this desire for connection and you have to understand who you're trying to connect with before you can connect to them. Right. Um, and kind of to wrap things up, is there any advice you would give? I mean, there's been some throughout our whole conversation, um, regardless of a vertical or an industry, something that's kind of universal for brands to think about when um, we bring in that digital consumer intelligence into play, what's sort of the one or two biggest takeaways that you would impart on a brand today? Absolutely. So if, if you were to ask me this question uh, much earlier in my career, it would be a completely different answer uh, because, you know, coming out of grad school, uh, you wanted to appeal to as many people as possible. You wanted to be unproblematic, so on and so forth. Now I would suggest that that you need to define what your company believes to be right and then you need to be about that definition, you need to uh, kind of, again, walk the walk, like I said earlier. Um, and, and kind of from my own personal experience through looking and analyzing a lot of uh, social media backlash and, backlash and outrage, uh, you cannot be afraid to upset some potential consumers. Um, I believe that that's going to happen no matter what, 
even if you have the best of intentions, um, you will not appeal to everyone, uh, especially in 2021. And I think that you need to identify who you are as a brand first. Uh, and, and if that turns some people off or rubs them the wrong way, you have to be okay with that. And you have to be willing to, to kind of you have to be willing to stick to who you are and, and what you value, even at the expense of, of someone posting on social media about how awful you are as a brand or how awful your products are, um, that type of thing. So I, I certainly believe that, you know, five, 10 years ago, you wanted to appeal to everyone. I, I think now you just have to not be as afraid uh, to, to potentially upset potential consumers. It's great advice. And it's so it's so interesting to me how things are shifting where sort of the advice, the brands that succeed are thinking things through almost like we would do as individuals, as people. You know, we hopefully understand what our values are and we don't live in alignment with them all the time, but we work to do that. And mm. you take that same sort of recipe and apply it to a brand too. And I, I think you're right. I think that's what's going to be the long game here um, for, for brands who are really going to sustain. Um, Kellen, thank you so much for your time and insights. You know, I, we could talk for hours and then, you know, I'm sure maybe we should set up a time to revisit the subject because it's a living, breathing space, right? That brand really kind of facilitates and plays with. I, you've got amazing partners all over the world and mm -hmm. do some incredible work. So really great to have your expertise in your time today. Well, thank you so much again, Sarah, for having me. And, and yes, would I would be more than happy to uh, to kind of circle back around when there's a shift uh, in, in online and in social engagement. But, but yeah, uh, this has been fantastic. And thank you so much. Great. Let's do that. Thanks again. Thank you.